They may sound nuts, so do the Wright brothers. Now, here's Flieger and Briggs. Welcome into It's Just Sports here on the 12 Ounce Sports Network. Check out everything they got going on over at 12OunceSportsNetwork.com and at 12 Ounce Sports. That's 12OZ Sports on Twitter. And of course, you can follow your boys at Asylum Football on Twitter, AsylumFantasySports.com. And to be part of the show, It's Just Sports123 at gmail.com. All right, as we will, we'll see if this is all working. As we move on through these strange times, we have activated, reactivated Studio A. I am in Studio B. Mr. Briggs in Studio A. Do I got you there, old timer? Well, I can certainly hear you, partner. I hope you can hear me. I am in the comfy confines of Studio A, which we haven't uh, used other than a couple weeks ago in about... Oh, I don't know, about four years now, right? It's been a long time, but uh, luckily we used to have fireside chats and, (laughs) you know, everything down here. It it was wonderful. But uh, no, like you said earlier, it's strange times. I mean, to tell you, and we were talking before we got on the air that, uh, you know, some of the you know, the slashings in the workforce are starting to take effect and, uh, you know, hit my place. Fortunately, I'm still around. Uh, you're still around at, at yours so far, but, um, you know, hearts go out to those ones that haven't. It's tough. Yeah, no no question about it. Just, uh, just unprecedented. I know we're not going to spend much, if any, time talking about all this here. You can get that absolutely everywhere else. But I do have one plea, Rick. I like to pretend like by being here on 12-Ounce Sports, we are, as you can hear, Mr. Briggs opening a beer (laughs) through the microphone, which is apropos on 12-Ounce Sports. That's where we're all at. That'll be forgiven at this time. That's why I'm on 12-Ounce Sports. (laughs) But I have one plea to our colleagues in the media, and I like to pretend we're in the media now, Rick. I have one plea with all the things going on in the world can we please stop shoving microphones in the faces of 19 year old drunk kids <laughs> in florida it, it makes me feel like this thing is so much worse than it is they're kids they're drunk they're idiots this is gonna happen i don't know why i, I was watching those videos again today and it infuriates me not just what these boneheaded kids are doing but i remember being one of these boneheaded kids and let's put quit putting a camera in their face to justify your narrative that the end of days is nigh it's driving me out of my mind i agree and i heard one commentator on on some show saying that you know 20 year olds have been making horrible decisions since the dawn of man and to expect them to make start making good decisions in four days is ridiculous (laughs) and i mean i agree They're, they're it's stupid it's irresponsible you know, think of, you know, your parents, your grandparents, that kind of thing. But, you know, don't shove a microphone in their face and, and make me sit there and look at these idiots on the beach and then say, oh, my God, the world's coming to an end because these guys are swimming in the ocean drunk. I can't believe America isn't taking this seriously when there's nine frat guys <laughs> running around on a boardwalk. Right. Look, it is terrible. They need to do and they are doing something about it. And, and I just think, you know, I'm getting old enough that it's, 
ancient history at this point, but still young enough, and you probably are too, to remember. I can't imagine the dumb crap I would be doing if this was happening mm. when I was 20 years old. Can you imagine? Honestly, when you really think, it's you're right, it's stupid, it's irresponsible, they got to stop. But you know, we'd be doing the exact same thing, only probably worse. Quite frankly. Well, well, the thing is, Rick, with with the times that are like now in 2020, and you know my advanced age over you, some of the stuff I did at 19 years old, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you now in 2020. You'd be doing a life uh, sentence at this. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's enough of that stuff. You know, there's been a lot of action to keep the sports minds active just in the NFL and uh, with free agency and the trades and everything coming down, there's been a lot of activity, a lot of interesting activity, a lot of great moves. And I came up with a thing, Rick, um, we're going to play teacher. Oh, am I the teacher or are you? Both of us are. Oh, sweet. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to come up with different free agent moves and or trades, whatever. And you and I are going to grade them. For each team. Oh, nice. I get to hand out the grades instead of the failing grades instead of receiving them as I spent <laughs> yeah, much, like of, we usually do. much exactly. of my 20s doing, which is, again, why I have sympathy for the frat boys. <laughs> True. That's why you got your failing grades. That's because right. Because you were on the beat thing like that moron. Yeah, I earned okay, those failing we're grades. Going to, well, that's true. Each and every one of them you did. <laughs> I'm going to go with the first one here. And I want you to, well, I'll, I'll tell you what to grade first. Philadelphia receiving Darius Slay from Detroit for a third rounder and a fifth. What grade does Philadelphia get? Philadelphia, that's an A for Philadelphia, I think. It, it, it addresses an obvious need. There are There seems to be two very different camps on Darius Slay and, and and his abilities. There, there seems to be, and in my mind, in my mind's eye, he's a star. You know, kind of some of the PFF grades, and when you look behind the numbers, there there may be some issues there. But look, for Philadelphia, it addresses a need. They've got a good secondary as it is. You add him into that, and really a third and a fifth for a guy, you know, almost universally considered in the top, you know, 10% of his profession, I, I think it's a pretty fair deal. Yeah, I went with uh, a B-plus for Philadelphia. I really like Darius Slay. He's going into, what, his eighth season, which he's not the youngest guy, but he's still, I think, 29 coming into 2020. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. The PFF grades are, are really good. I'd like to see a few more picks from him. I mean, he did have the eight in 2017, but he's other than that, he's right around two. But um, yeah, I, I'm going with a B plus, solid B plus uh, with Darius Slay going to Philadelphia. I think what really enhances it, I think, for Philadelphia is number one, they're a better defense to start with. So I think actually it's going to improve Darius Slay as well because I don't think he's going to have to do as much if you know what I mean and and so that'll give him the freedom to to be Darius Slay instead of trying to be uh, you know a fire putter at her if you know what I mean because Detroit's defense is not that good and he was all over the place and um, so I think he's really going to enhance Philadelphia's defense I have to say Rick 
fire putter outer. That might be the first time that has ever been said over. I think fire extinguisher, I guess, would sound better. No, I disagree. Fire putter outer (laughs) is tremendous. And once again, 12-ounce sports, you're welcome. What, What I like about moves like this with a Darius Slay looking at the length and breadth of his career and where it has occurred, it's always interesting when you get a guy like this kind of in the prime, if not on the back end of the prime of his career, to get out of a place like Detroit and see what happens when you remove that suck, right? Maybe we'll take the suck of Detroit off of this guy and see what he really is. You wonder, you see guys that star in places like that, what would they have done in better places? And this is a rare occasion we get to see that. I agree. Okay, now we're going to hand out the grade to the Detroit Lions, who do receive a third and a fifth round pick. See, this one's tough because it's, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cop out and I'm going to give it a C right flat in the middle. Here's why. It is a horrible move personnel-wise, and I think a guy of Darius Slay's ability is worth more than a third and a fifth. However, whatever that rift is, and depending on who you believe, it's an all-in F if this is all Matt Pooey. Slow slow down, Rick. If this is Matt Patricia's fault, if this is just an honest-to-goodness personality conflict between him and Patricia, you have to get him out of the locker room. It's clear there was issues there. So in that regard, it's an A, so I'm going to cop out and call it a C. Okay, I actually went a little step different than you i actually gave them a c plus for that reason because darius slay won it out of detroit so badly and him and uh matt patricia just did not get along i agree a third and a fifth is not enough compensation for somebody like him however i think in the long run it probably is the best thing for the locker room bring in a couple of young guys hopefully you catch lightning in a bottle with hopefully like the third rounder and maybe even the fifth that they make the team and so forth and can contribute right away but um yeah i'll go with the c plus simply because he wanted out of detroit so bad it would be you know just a negative effect from here on out if he didn't want to be there Yeah, and you look at the position Matt Patricia finds himself in. He's been told, you win this year or you're out. These are the desperate measures a a desperate man has to make. I don't think they've done enough really to address that. I think it's all but guaranteed he's out at the end of this year when you look at what the rest of the division and the conference has done. However, this is a desperate act of a desperate man, and, yeah, you've got to clean up your locker room. You've got to get everybody on board to save yours and your administration's jobs. And so I get it. I, I don't like it, but but I totally get it. So that's why I didn't just flunk them like I you know used to flunk a lot. Okay. One of the most blockbuster deals that we've seen come down the pike in quite some time. Arizona receiving DeAndre Hopkins and a 2024th round pick for David Johnson – and a 2020 second-round pick plus a 2021 fourth-round pick. First of all, we're going to grade the Cardinals. Well, that couldn't be simpler. That's an A, plus, 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 plus. <laughs> the, the insult of getting used in and getting that troglodyte Bill O'Brien to throw that fourth-rounder in there on top. <laughs> 
on top of the ridiculous move it was. I don't I don't know when the Cardinals became that organization. That that was a patriot like move and yet A plus 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 plus. Yeah, I agree. It it does nothing but make the Cardinals and we talked about this off air before. They do anything in the draft. And the balance of power in the NFC West has really shifted. Yeah, we'll we'll keep San Francisco up there because I don't see any significant negative changes in them. But it's concerning the Rams and the Seahawks. You know, I, I all of a sudden now the Cardinals start looking like a player. No question about it. You know, at least offensively, I think a lot of their concerns last year in terms of winning football games was defensively, but, you know, especially compared to in that same division, right, San Francisco, Seattle, Los Angeles. But this is a real interesting division all of a sudden. It was, it, really to, it was to begin with, and then you bring the, bring the Cardinals to that. But what they can now offer offensively with the good young wide receivers they have, with Larry Fitzgerald at his advanced age still getting it done. Kyler Murray took such nice incremental steps the whole way. The way uh, <clears throat> the way the Kenyon Drake, I just blank. I keep wanting to say David Johnson. The way Kenyon Drake really came to life at the end of the year. That is a flat out scary offense. And if if Kyler Murray continues the ascension he was on, that nice steady that I like to see from a young quarterback into next year, that offense, it's going to be fun to watch. It, it certainly will. And it's going to be exciting to see what they do in the draft. You know, when you have that offense in place like that, maybe you make a, a pick to help, you know, bolster that O-line, then they can fill a couple of gaps on that defense, which is starting to lack from what it was, you know, say three years ago. All of a sudden, this could be a very good team in 2020. Now let's move on to, and I'm going to give the grade out first for one specific reason, because I really want to give an F to Houston for this, but I'm going to give them a D for the only, for the sole chance that David Johnson returns to the David Johnson of like 2017. And Houston is one of these teams that really likes to rely on a bell kill cow type of back, which, you know, you don't see a whole lot, but they tend to like that. I mean, you know, Lamar Miller was always underrated, but was always a solid performer in that role. If he comes back to that type of form, it's going to help Houston, but, you know, the giving up DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson, you know, you can't get any higher to me than a D. Nah, and for me, the F, W, Z, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I, I get what you're saying, and I could be swayed by that if not for the fact that a scant few days later, the Atlanta Falcons, and I'm sure we'll get to this one, got Todd Gurley for nothing, for nothing, let alone yeah. Julio Jones. I mean, there are guys out there. There are guys that can be had. It's a massively deep running back class in the draft. I know that's not a guarantee, but but you, you talk about two very similar trajectories in what David Johnson and Todd Gurley, and you could have still had DeAndre Hopkins taking the same amount of risk with a Todd Gurley, and you don't look like the biggest dope on the planet like Bill O'Brien looks right now. I, I, whatever's worse than an F, I give to him because the F's too good because the F's just going to stand for fired. This is it. If he doesn't somehow 
backdoor his way into a Super Bowl this year, he's out. He's gone. He, he makes Matt Patricia's job look secure as far as I'm concerned. Uh-oh. 24-0 lead that you've blown in the playoffs. To the, these bonehead moves, I, I agree with you. You could have had Todd Gurley, and, and let's face it, you could, you could still have Devontae Freeman for yeah. a, you know, a box of saltine crackers. <laughs> and, you know, although the – the ceiling's not as high for a Freeman as maybe a Johnson. I think the whole, you know, meat of the matter is is pretty consistent. I mean, you're not going to find a whole lot of difference in them unless Johnson really gets back to that form that we saw a few years ago. And and the 2022nd and the and and the 20 2021st fourth, that's not that valuable. If it was a first round this year. You know, I would jack that grade up a little bit, obviously. But, you know, the second round in, in a 2021 four, just not enough compensation for that for DeAndre Hopkins at all. And let's not forget, and I'm sure that's on your short list here coming up. I don't want to scoop you, but then you see that return for DeAndre Hopkins, and then you see what the Vikings got for Stephon Diggs. Once again, I know that's looking retrospectively, but again, you see Todd Gurley go to Atlanta for nothing. You see what the Vikings get for Stephon Diggs. It makes every day this thing looks more and more ridiculous it, it does and and that's a perfect segue because that was my next one we have buffalo receiving stefan diggs and a 2020 seventh round pick for a 2020 first fifth and sixth plus a 2021 fourth round pick first one to grade buffalo receiving stefan diggs Boy, that's tough. It's that that was a lot to give away. And, and again, so now to look look at that the other direction when you see all the more now it ended up being seeming like the Raiders overpaid, but when you look at all the more they had to give up for Antonio Brown last year before we all knew he was completely insane, when you look at what what Arizona had to give up to get DeAndre Hopkins. That's big. So, so that bothers. At number two, Stephon Diggs. I, he's a really good receiver. I don't know if he's one of those game changing receivers. I don't think he is a DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas type. I don't think he's on that tier. However, I'm going to give them a B minus based on this. I think that's a C minus to a D move. I'm going to bump it on the curve all the way up to a B minus. Based on this, the Buffalo Bills see blood in the water. The New England Patriots, for the first time in 20 however many years, are vulnerable. The Buffalo Bills were a playoff team last year. They felt like that was one piece they were missing. Stephon Diggs is a good fit with the gunslinging type of young quarterback they have. So I don't like what they gave up, but I'm going to bump them up to a B- minus just just for going for it, just for saying now's our chance before the hoodie reloads. Let's go get it now. So I'm, I'm going to give them that. I, I can see where you're coming from there, and, and I tend to agree a little bit. I am go. I can't go any higher than a C on this one, simply because we saw last year Stephon Diggs starting to after those first two games, when actually Minnesota won. I think they were one and one, but re, you remember Kirk Cousins hadn't only had a hundred and some yards passing and so forth. And they relying on Delvin Cook on some defense. And he started tweeting out this, this stuff. And 
it took Cousins and Adam Thielen and so forth to calm him down, and then they started throwing the ball around. He gets into a Buffalo offense where he's not going – look, Buffalo's not this big, flashy offensive team. I mean, this, this is a team that, yeah, they may strike – and get a nice long touchdown pass, but more or less, they're going to be grinding that down the field. You're right. They do see blood in the water, but let's, let's not um, discount Miami. It was a team starting to reload as well. They're going for it. I understand that, but giving up a, a first fifth and sixth this year and in a fourth, which isn't that significant, but it's still, you know, a piece that could fit in next year. I think it's a little bit too much. And and if Diggs has a great attitude and, and you know meshes with John Brown and Allen, et cetera, then I can crank it up a little bit. But I'm just a little skeptical about his uh attitude, quite frankly. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's why I'm assuming I'm just going to jump ahead what the next question is going to be, what the grade is for the Vikings. With everything you just said, that's why this is an A for the Vikings, right? Yes, you give up a tremendous wide receiver. However, you get great compensation. Everybody can agree on that. And look, he's a malcontent. He has been. I don't know that that's who he is necessarily as a person or if it's with the franchise. We know he doesn't like the quarterback who you just gave an extension to. And so you talk about addition by subtraction and bringing in a haul of picks, you know, somewhere, again, a very, very, very deep wide receiver class more than anything in this draft this year. You go out, you can take a chance, you can find this guy, but basically you said, and we'll find out, for now I'm going to say yes, so I give them an A, you're going to say, we're backing up our quarterback, our franchise quarterback, every time this guy has one sale over his head, he's all over Twitter and Instagram bashing the organization to get that much out of him with that going on, I think knowing what was happening in the background was brilliant, brilliant by Minnesota. I agree. I, I think it's a solid, solid A the whole way around for Minnesota. And you talk about him getting on Twitter and so forth, you know, like you said, you know, getting overthrown and so forth. Look, Josh Allen can launch him into the stands, oh. you know, from the 40 yard line, trying to hit somebody on the 20 for crying out loud. So, I mean, there's no guarantee that, that Stefan Diggs is going to be have a great catch percentage. Let's put it that way. But, you know, he's going to have to he's going to have to be a veteran leader on Buffalo, in my mind, for him to actually, you know, come out on top and be worth that compensation that Buffalo gave up. Yeah, it's uh it, it's a big one. So so way to go, Minnesota. Happy for you. Yeah, I am too. You know, and it's interesting, um, before we get to the next one, that all these players that we're talking about, you know, we, we, we talked about Darius Slay, DeAndre Hopkins, David Johnson, and, um, you know, Stephon Diggs. Every one of these players have been playing, you know, five to eight years, all with the same team, which I think is very significant. Yeah, it, it is interesting, and you really – it feels – and I, I don't know, Rick, 
if this one feels bigger, this free agency period and more robust because it actually is, or because there's absolutely nothing else going on, you know, the, the numbers, <laughs> part of the numbers might not bear it out, but boy, it just feels like in terms of, I guess, going back to our previous life before our stint here at 12 ounce sports, talking about fantasy football. If we're still doing a fantasy football show, this could be a six hour show daily, <laughs> the way things are breaking. Maybe it's just being that level of player. I'm not sure. Yeah, it really is. But it, like you said, there's absolutely nothing else going on. So every move is exciting, if not, you know, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's, it's not just an interesting move. It, it's really excitement plus because we have something to talk about. But, you know, the the whole thing about the, the fantasy, it, it changes, you know, for all you fantasy players out there, it really changes the landscape heading into 2020 and, and we'll be touching on some of this stuff because we've done fantasy for a lot of years. So, I mean, we'll have little segments, you know, that pertain to fantasy football going into all that, but yeah, it really does. It has changed the fantasy landscape tremendously going into 2020. You know what else it tells me, Rick? I don't miss doing all fantasy all the time. <laughs> No, I agree with you 100%. Okay, let's move on to another grade. And I thought this one was um, actually a significant move, I think. But anyway, we'll we'll see what you think. Chicago receiving Nick Foles from Jacksonville for a compensatory fourth-round pick. Of everything that happened, and we're just talking about how everything right now feels big and, and feels stunning, this one, to me, legitimately was. From from Jacksonville's standpoint, to get what they got, to get out from underneath that contract, you know, I'll just take them both right here, right? Jacksonville, that's an A. Look, they, they botched it. They made a mistake. Or at least they feel they do, and I feel like they do. To get out of that and get out from underneath that contract and get anything, you, you, I know you're grading on a big curve because they put themselves in the mess. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'll give them an A right. for, for this move in a vacuum. Chicago, this one's a stunner to me, you know, to take on that contract. You know, yeah, Trubisky took a step back, no no doubt about it. But with Jameis Winston still available at the time, Phillip Rivers was out there to give up anything to take the chance on on a Nick Foles. This is a D for me. It, it, It really is for Chicago to take all that on with the options that were available out there. You know, Cam Newton's still available. Jameis Winston's available. You know, at the time, like I said, Rivers, all, all this movement, I don't understand it. What Talk about, to me, to me, and you may disagree, you've always had a softer stance on Nick Foles. This feels like Trubisky to Foles is the, how do you say that, the frying pan to the fire or the other way around. I don't get this one at all. And you're right. We, we are going to disagree. From Jacksonville's standpoint, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think it's a solid A. They're getting out of a contract. Look, they got, in, they got into this mess themselves. I agree with you 100%. But they do not want Nick Foles. They want to go with Gardner Minshew, and they have this huge contract. So they ship him off to Chicago. They get a compensatory fourth-round pick. Yeah, that's, that's nothing much at all. But they got out of that contract. Frees up a lot of money. 
they've got the quarterback they want. They have some freedom to do other things. So I give them A there. Where we disagree is on the Chicago end of it. Look, I don't think Chicago is, Chicago is nearly as bad as what they looked last year. I mean, they have Allen Robinson. They've, they've got Montgomery. They've got, you know, a good, solid offense, I think, it, it, a core of it. You know, Trubisky just I, – I have really a lot of reservations for him. We've always – you are one of these player or commentators that like to say Nick Foles was only good with, with Philadelphia. Jacksonville was so bad last year. And even when, of course, he got hurt right off the bat. And when he did get a chance to play, he was still running for his life. I know he's gun shy from that injury and so forth. I, I think he has a chance to resurrect himself in Chicago. I don't think this team is that bad. They've got a good defense. They've got a good core and offense. They get that offensive line bolstered up a little bit. I think he is head and shoulders better than Trubisky. When Nick Foles is right, we've seen what – this is the only Super Bowl-winning quarterback in Philadelphia history. I mean, this this guy has actually proven that he can play. And for that reason, I'm going to give them a B-. minus. Yeah, it's – boy, I just – you're, hit, you're hitting buttons saying I'm stupid here, but – yeah, there we go. So too too many buttons, too much to go, too much to work. Look, here's the thing. I agree with you. Jacksonville was a crap show last year to keep it family friendly here on Twelve Ounce Sports. However, you know, thirty two hundred yards. What was it? Twenty one touchdowns. Only six or six or eight picks. I'm blanking on it right now. I'm having some technical difficulties over here. But Nick Foles. Well, again, he only got a half, and then what? Another game, game and a half. But right. it's just, I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. He seems like a nice guy. He seems like a decent dude. That Super Bowl run he made with Philadelphia and slaying the mighty Patriots was such a cool story. I am hope I'm, I'm wrong, but I have only ever seen Nick Foles succeed in a backup role for the Philadelphia Eagles. I've never seen him. He's never been able to start a year. I just feel like with that contract – He's not the stopgap kind of guy. What this move tells me and what's interesting, what I think it tells me is they're completely out on Trubisky. You know, otherwise you bring in a Phillip Rivers. You bring in, you could probably get Cam Newton for that compensatory fourth-round pick right now. You know, you could bring in one of these veteran guys to hold it over for a year or two and hope you can get Trubisky right. So this tells me they're giving up on Trubisky completely, the fact that you're willing to take on this contract. And that – I just don't see it. I think we'll disagree on that one forever, and we'll have to – if we're, we're not both dead uh, of the virus, we'll have to go back and revisit this when his career's finally over. But, man, you can't discount what he's done when it's been good – but boy, when it's been bad for Nick Foles, it's been real bad. Yeah, it really has. And, and the teams that he's played played on were bad when he was bad. So I, I'm I'm optimistic, I guess, much more than you are. And I do agree with you that Chicago is out on Trubisky, or else they may have been in the you know the Case Keenum sweepstakes or, or somebody like that. Um, instead of a Nick Foles and that huge contract. Um, so we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I hope we survive this uh, pandemic and see what happens. Okay, another one with, that we have. The Indianapolis Colts received the Forrest Buckner 
from San Francisco for a 2020 first round pick. You know, kind of a, a bold move, giving up that first. It is. This is a team that feels like, you know, they're look, he's a game changer on defense, no doubt about it. So it makes all the sense in the world for San Francisco, right? They they you can't pay all of those guys. You you've got you got Bosa. They they've got they're good on that defensive line. They felt like that's a, that's a guy they could part with. They could go out and get another piece with that first round pick. So I don't know. It, doesn't move the needle for me necessarily, you know, B, I, I guess, for San Francisco. For Indianapolis, you bring in Phil Rivers. You know this is a one- or two-year deal. You feel like you have the other pieces on offense. You solidify that defense on the defensive line. You get a game-changer like that in a division that's a coin toss every single year between every single team in that division. Uh, again, feels like a going for it move. You know, don't I, I'd have probably liked to have seen them use that first-rounder. You know, maybe a Justin Herbert, one of these quarterbacks, you frankly, looking for the future. They obviously don't think Brissett's that guy. So, B, B minus somewhere in there. Yeah, but yeah, but Indianapolis is getting Buckner. You're backwards, and San Francisco is getting the first. Well, that's what I said. Did I just say it backwards? I yeah, you that. said, yeah, you said Brissett, but yeah, that. No, um, what I'm saying is I'd have rather them kept their first round oh, and drafted yeah, the I quarterback. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, you're right. Um but, you know, then they turn around and they sign Phil Rivers. So right. I guess they say, okay, we've got the quarterback situation settled down for a year or two. And with these bonehead moves that Houston's making, <laughs> Jacksonville, Jacksonville stinks. And let, let's go head-to-head against Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> what, we, what we lack in this division is defense. And, you know, I, I like the move for Indianapolis. I give them an A-minus for that. And, and I give the same grade for San Francisco. Um, their defense is very solid. Look, this guy's a game changer. He's young. Um, but that first round pick, you know, where they choose to use it, I guess, is going to be the real grade for that, I think. Because, I mean, this is a team that just came from the Super Bowl. And they're missing one piece. Defense wasn't one of them. True. True. So I don't know how much of a negative Buckner leaving is going to be for the defense as opposed to what they do with this uh, first round pick. So, you know, the jury's out a little bit. I'm giving them an A minus. They're going for it. But if I had to give an edge to which A minus is better, I think I'd give it to Indianapolis because I think they addressed a specific need immediately. And I mean, they gave up a lot. I granted, but but they got Rivers. They they've addressed that quarterback situation. Their offense should be fine. Marlon Mack, you know, and, and the rest of that crew is fine. So it was defense. It was a weakness on Indianapolis. So I give them the edge in a little bit. Yeah, and one thing you'll see for me, and I think pretty consistently, I've said it a couple of times, and this is why you know, I don't hate it for Indianapolis. This is another team, I'm not sure I agree, but feels like with the signing of Phillip Rivers, with the success they had last year, they've, they're going for it, right? This is a move. You give up your first rounder for a defensive lineman. You're saying we're a, a key defensive player away from making a Super Bowl run. Again, New England's down. We've got a legitimate shot. The division's always up for grabs. Give me a game changer on defense, and maybe I can make a playoff run. I'll never fault a team for that. They might end up being dead wrong, but but I give them credit for the effort. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a bold move on, on both parts, quite frankly. 
you know, Buckner brings in, he's played four years. And, and again, it's another te- another guy that has played for the same team, uh, you know, his, his whole career, albeit only four years. But, you know, Indianapolis comes in, they had 41 sacks last year. And Buckner averages right around, he had 12 in 2018, seven and a half last year. So he's averaging, you know, in those four years, a little over seven uh, sacks a year. So that's just only going to help that defense put pressure on the quarterback. And, you know, I give him, I give him a good solid A minus on that one. So we will have to wait and see what San Francisco does with that draft pick. Okay, we're going to move on to a little bit of something else here. As you know, Rick, and uh, you're, you're Mr. Sports Fanatic, um, there's nothing on TV as far as sports entertainment other than things that happened a long time ago. And I'm sure you're still watching some of that stuff. Am I not correct? Like a rabid dog, I can't get enough of it. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do is instead of talking about some of the stuff that we've watched, I'm going to ask you some things, and we'll discuss things. What is some of your favorite sporting events? Wait. And the, the first one is, what is your favorite World Series, and what is your favorite World Series single event memory? I mean, you know, which could be different, obviously. It could be, you know, X play or, you know, a certain home run in a certain game, yet another World Series is your favorite. You know what I mean? So we'll go with the first world, your favorite World Series first. Oh, my favorite World Series. This one's always tough for me as a Pirate fan or a former Pirate fan. I guess I could still be considered that. You kind of kind of lose its luster. God, I hate to be this guy, the recency guy, Rick, but I, I don't know if it was this show or if we were on this network yet or it was on the old one where I legitimately hopped two feet in on that bandwagon for the Washington Nationals just last year. To, to Much to your chagrin, I was taking up 10 and 15 minutes of show for two entire weeks as I was going nuts about this. There's really, beyond that, not a World Series. I remember being really excited when Kirby Puckett's twins were in the World Series going up against Atlanta. For some reason, that one sticks out in my mind. I was a much younger man there. But but as a unabashed, I don't know if you were even a, considered a man back then. Well, yeah, to <laughs> fair point. That that's that's a that's a really good point. So I'm gonna be cheesy, Rick. You're gonna have a much cooler answer, having had much more experience with said thing. I'm going the 2019 Washington Nationals, and that, that that's horrific. I know, but but it's the only one that jumps out to me. It was a great World Series. There's no question about that. I mean, it was you know it's probably in my top ten, no doubt. I'm going with um, the 1975 World Series. I mean, I, I remember the 71 and 79 Pirates winning the World Series. And, of course, everyone in the audience knows we're from Western PA, so we're Pirates fans. But that 75 World Series, you know, the, the seven game with Boston Red Sox and, and Cincinnati Reds and game six, Carlton Fisk home run. I mean, you know, and him motioning it, you know, to stay fair and so forth. That was an incredible World Series. We saw Louis Tiant duel Joe Morgan on first base and, you know, threatening to steal and, and, and Tiant's pickoff moves and so forth. 
and just so many clutch plays and and the you know Cesar Geronimo's home three run home run to tie it for Boston it was it was just an incredible World Series and you know for those of you not old enough to to remember it I mean it's worth a replay really <laughs> just go on YouTube you can find them um, it was just so exciting from game one through game seven. I like it. That was uh, two years before I was born, Rick, just for context. Exactly. Okay, what is your single World Series event? Meaning like specific plays, specific hits? Yeah, and I'll I'll tell you what mine is. It's Willie Stargell's home run in the 1979 World Series to – you know, take over the lead over the Baltimore Orioles, and um, they went on to win the World Series. Uh, you know, Pops is what he was called. Then he was getting up there in age. He was probably about 37, 38. But in 1979, he had popped like 32, 33 home runs. And being more or less insignificant in 71 when he led the league in home runs, and Roberto Clemente was the was the star of the Pirates when they won that World Series. Stargell, who was aging at the time, had moved from left field to first base, you know, a couple of years before that, and was playing first base because you couldn't you could not bench his bat. And it seemed like every time it looked like Pittsburgh was down, it was Stargell that came up with the clutch hit, and uh, that home run in, in Game Six was awesome. Yeah, for me, the one that jumps to mind going back, you know, beyond this year, you know, we can talk about all the moments from this year's that, that, that I, I put as my favorite in general. But the one that pops to my mind is that Joe Carter home run to defeat, defeat the Philadelphia Phillies. I, I can't yep. tell you what year it was. But, but there was something – well, first of all, number one, again, as a Pirate fan, at that time – to sort of the greatest rival and the team I hated the most in baseball was the Philadelphia Phillies. And they were kind of an arrogant bunch, kind of a bunch of goofballs. I didn't care for them. And there was something cool about Toronto in, in being from Canada and, and remember Sky Dome or whatever they called that thing then was still fairly new and it was like a spaceship. I mean, the thing's a dump now. It ought to be torched. But at the time, <laughs> at the time, it seemed so cool. And, you know, they had the hotel and people were always back hanging out there and getting caught on camera. That was fun. I don't know. You kind of, I bought into Toronto at that time. And in my lifetime, you know, I wasn't around for Bill Mazeroski. So for in my lifetime to see a world series end on a walk-off home run was unheard of. So that was kind of the first time and it might've been the last time since then. I, I can't recall, but, but kind of something you just didn't see. Albeit it wasn't a game seven. It wasn't anything like that. However, the you know, vanquishing the evil Philadelphia Phillies in my mind, they're probably only evil to me, but vanquishing them, <laughs> doing it on a walk-off in that cool space-age stadium that I'd never seen anything like, it, it stuck with me for a long time. Oh, I can imagine. That that was that was a, a special moment in World Series history. You know, one that kind of stuck out to me, not one of my favorites, but you probably don't remember the 85 series of Cardinals and I think it was Kansas City Royals. Very, when, very vague memories of it. You know, game seven, Joaquin Andohar, you know, pitching for the Cardinals just has this total meltdown. It just goes berserk over the, the home plane umpire not calling his 
balls, strikes, and he actually ended up getting thrown out of the game. I mean, he just goes bonkers. It takes I mean, a it lot like, to get thrown out of a late World Series game, too. You got to really push it. There's no doubt about that. Okay, let's move on. Your favorite, I think I know what it is, is going to be, we're going to have the same similar team, but probably different tournaments, but the same, but your favorite masters. Oh, oh, I, again, God, God, I'm, I'm, I might as well be a millennial. I'm not, I'm too old to be a millennial, but I might as well be one. You know me, Rick, it's Tiger last year, the comeback complete. You listened to me gush for 40 minutes. I, you didn't get a word in edgewise. As I'm going on, it, it just really just a great moment as somebody who only ever started watching golf because of Tiger Woods stayed a fan even as he faded out. But then to see that, you know, I'm a sucker. I'm a dummy for you. Give me a good comeback story. And, and then to be that guy at that time, forget about it. That, that one's not even close for me. And I knew exactly which one it would be. And mine's in the same vein. Mine's the 86 Masters with Jack Nicklaus, uh, you know, closing with the 65 in the fourth round at, at the age of, uh, what, 46. And, I mean, it was just freaking magic. I mean, it was, let's face it, in, in our ears, that was, you know, your Tiger is my Jack right. who is – next guy behind me ben hogan or whatever but that those two you know obviously stick out in the in the, in the top five no matter what but that's certainly you know i knew yours was tigers and, and mine was 86 with jack i mean it, it was just incredible i mean i still watch that sometimes and it gives you tingles and you'll be watching the tiger one 30 years from now and it's like wow god i remember that yeah you know it it does. It raises the hairs on the back of your neck. It was like that was damned exciting. There's just no getting around it. Right. No, no question. Okay. What is your – go ahead. Nope. You're, you're up. Okay. What is your favorite singles event in a Masters? My favorite singles event in a Masters? Yeah, like or shot or something that happened, you know. Not just a tournament itself. It could be just one thing. I'll tell you what, there's only one thing that really sticks out to me that, that I can remember specifically. And, and, you know, I haven't watched golf that closely, but watching Jordan Spieth, what hole was that? Continue to plunk those in the water, you know, however many. 12. Yeah, just over and over again. I mean, it was literally the real-life version of that stupid Kevin Costner movie, that Tin Cup movie. It was unfair fathomable to me it is the singular moment you know i don't i remember tiger's fist pump last year on the 18th but i don't remember anything about the hole i don't remember any specific you know one specific shot one specific hole that speed moment when i think about it, pops right to mind so i guess it's that yeah i mean it's uh and he hasn't been the same since that i think that tanked his career Right. And I mean, you know, it's, it stands to reason with the masters and, and, in my moment in that, and I'm not saying it favorite, you know, because I really liked what happened. It was, it was more or less, I guess, in a way more memorable, but mine was 1979 Ed Snead leaving 15, heading to 16, a three shot lead over fuzzy Zeller and Tom Watson. 
finishes bogey, 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 just and not really in trouble. I mean, just couldn't he, he couldn't get it in the freaking hole. And it was just the most horrible collapse that I'd seen that I can really remember, you know, other than like you said, just pumping them, you know, into the water on, on one specific hole. I mean, just hole after hole, you could just see the poor guy was was melting. And then they get into a playoff and we go, okay, maybe he can redeem himself. But of course, you know, Fuzzy Zeller, a rookie that year in the Masters, won the first Masters that he had ever played against Tom Watson and Ed Snead. But it was yeah, it was incredible to watch. I mean, it, it was painful to watch, to be honest with you. I mean, I mean, you've watched enough golf. You know, like three holes takes a while, and it's like just a slow death. Yeah. Well, it, and it's one thing, and, you know, that there'll always be the debate, and hopefully this thing doesn't go on so long that, that we have to get to these levels of conversations, but you'll have it in a bar room. You'll have it with your buddies of, you know, our golfers, athletes, our NASCAR drivers. You know, that stupid debate we all find ourselves in. This is the one thing, even if it's not as physically demanding, one thing the mental fortitude it takes to be a golfer, to be a tennis player, to be name any of these individual sports. Look, we've seen plenty of NFL players throw up all over themselves. Plenty of NHL goalies throw up all over themselves. Major League pitchers choke under the pressure and throw up all over themselves. But at some point, there is the ability to remove yourself from that situation and to let, look, you'll forever be the GOAT, you know, like a Bill Buckner thing, but but there's eight other guys and you can be removed from the situation. You get to gagging like that. You get to pumping ball after ball into the crick on, on 12 at, at the master. There's nowhere to go. You either got to grab your bag and walk out to the parking lot or you got to persevere through. You know, think about that in the mental fortitude you have to have to keep going after that it, it, it sets it apart from any other team sport oh I agree 100% I mean you you look at something like that and you can scoff at a certain golfer or whatever but you know match concentration skills against Tiger Woods match them against Jack Nicholas and, and see how you come out you know with, with, Jack Nicholas was was famous for back in the 60s and going into the 70s he smoked over two packs of cigarettes a day yet he never smoked during a tournament and a reporter asked him that he goes how do you go over four hours and not smoke he goes i'm playing golf <laughs> that's it. that's his drug <laughs> for those four hours <laughs> right i mean you know so yeah i agree with you you can debate it all you want but um you know, athlete, maybe not necessarily is all physicality there. Okay, what is your worst sporting memory? Oh, you're going to make me say this out loud, aren't you? I literally, I would think I was 15 years old, and I cried like a child, and I'm not embarrassed about it, and I get angry and weepy every time it comes up. Bottom of the ninth. National League Championship Series. <laughs> yeah. John Smiley serves up a meatball to, I remember this idiot's name, never heard of before or heard of since, Francisco Cabrera. Sid Bream rounds third. Barry Bonds throws a lollipop into home plate. 
Sid Bream is safe. My dream's my only chance of my lifetime. I'm still certain to this day to see the Pirates play in a World Series over. I can't forget it. I'm sick. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But I think you're wrong. I believe John Smiley was pulled. Bob Walk was warmed up in the bullpen, and yet Jim Leland elected to bring in Stan Belinda. That's Stan Belinda, not Smiley. You're right, Stan Belinda. Yes. You're absolutely right, 100%. And I have never forgiven Jim Leland <laughs> from that day, ever. And, um, you know, I, I'd love to have Jim Leland on the show and ask him why in the hell he ever did that. <laughs> I mean, but Fran- anyway, Francisco Cabrera, really? Francis- yeah. I had a friend at the time named Dave Cabrera, good buddy of mine back then. I've lost touch with him since. I didn't talk to him for three weeks. I hated him just because they shared a last name. <laughs> hated him. Hated him. Screw I you, Dave. Don't, don't blame you. <laughs> I, I don't blame you a bit. I mean, that, that certainly ranks up there with me as well. I mean, that was one of the things – that turned me off to baseball. Then the strike in 94, and boy, I was about done, uh, quite frankly. Um, I I really struggled with this one, the worst sporting memory. And I don't even know if it's a, a worst, I mean, if it's a sporting memory. But I, the, the plane crash with, with Payne Stewart, I, I thought was really – Right. That, yeah. that really kind of hit me has, that they were stuck on autopilot and, and unconscious up in that plane. I mean, that was just, I, I don't know. That that was one thing that stuck with me for a long time. Did you know Payne Stewart? I know you knew or had no, at least I, met I, a I, lot of those guys. Yeah, no, I never did um, meet Payne. I didn't know him, but, you know, followed his career, obviously, and and really liked him. And he was really coming into his own. And it was just, uh, you know, he had those young kids and so forth. It was just such a tragic story. And it was, it was, I don't know, it, it was surreal. I mean, it, it took me a while to really comprehend it, that it really happened. Yeah, and then you know, look, you know how history repeats itself. Kind of a not the same, but a very similar, and probably with a bigger name in Kobe Bryant here this year. Right. You know, so so much of that. I remember one thing that sticks with me was was the death of Dale Earnhardt. In, in thinking about yeah. and thinking about the difference in the world, right? I was a big NASCAR fan back then. My dad was a big NASCAR fan, and I followed it. You know, through him, I was just. Uh, what was that 2000 I believe it was so kind of just out of college just out on my own and I remember watching the race with my dad and, and you knew he wrecked but you didn't know anything about it and of course there was no social media none of that back then and him calling me hours later said did you hear Earnhardt dead and I was a Dale Earnhardt fan and he he really didn't like Dale Earnhardt so I think that is an awful thing to say why are you screwing with me old man and waiting you know till the next morning to read it in the paper before I actually even believed it you know and this right. was only 20 years ago. It sounds like it's the, you know, the olden times, but it's just, it had, look, it had been all over. You'd have heard all about it that night, but that, that still sticks with me. And, and what you saw with Ryan Newman at the Daytona 500 shows you, yeah. I guess if there's a positive that comes out of that, the safety that, that, that came out, so that might be the worst thing and the best thing to ever happen to NASCAR. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. And that one does, I remember when that one happened, <coughs> pardon me. Okay, our last one, the favorite single event in sports. And you can't say the NCAA tournament. You can say, like, 
opening day or the final, something of that nature. But, you know, what is your favorite single event? Oh, boy. Single, <coughs> single event. That, that is so tough. You know, the, the Masters is up there. You know, obviously for for the everyone, the the Super Bowl's up there. Ten years ago, the answer would have been Opening Day in in Major League Baseball. I've got to say, and if I have, you know, you can't pick one. Uh, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to say I'm going to cheat a little bit, but I'll meet you in the middle. It's the Final Four. I still like having multiple games. You know, you can get a dog in the championship game or teams you don't right. care about. But the Final Four, that Saturday, is is the one that I probably look forward to more than anything else. You hunker down. You got two games back-to-back. They're that meaningful. So if it's not that first Thursday, which we didn't get this year, but that's too many games to, to fall into your and, thing. And you can you can say that. I mean, if that if that's better than the final four, that's fine. That that's one day. Okay, I then mean, that's what it is. It's Thursday, okay. the first Thursday of the NCAA tournament. I let my I'm that parent. I let my daughter stay home from school. We've got two TVs and two computers going because there's four games going at any one given time. That, that that's what it is, and that that's what crushes this year with with everything going on. Yeah, I mean, and everything canceled. It's it's such doldrums. But yeah, I, I'm with you. That's one of my favorites. Uh, the Masters really ranks up there um, with me, as you well know. Um, but I think if I have one day that really excites me, it's opening day of the NFL season. Yeah, I just I love that, and you, you don't really know, and you still don't have a clue who the favorites are after week one, but just the fact that they're all real games and everybody's playing for something now. I mean, that to me that I love that. Yeah. And again, kind of being the last sport where literally, you know, unless you're in Cincinnati or Cleveland, everybody in the league has a chance to win. You know what I mean? It It is, it's tough and it's not tough. But that's kind of exciting, and it's kind of the singular sport, and it's going to be even more so this year, God willing. This is all wrapped up by then, and we get the NFL started on time, where with kind of all the moves, this is the one sport more than any where – Maybe basketball, because one player can make such a difference. But you see these high-profile moves, and you finally get to see them in practice. And look, again, not to go back to our previous life, I think fantasy football in no small part has made that a bigger event than even Major League Baseball opening day. Yeah. It really has, and everybody's been drafting. And you've everybody watches football now does this. You know, you've spent, you've had your draft. You've put up the big money. It's time to go. It's a great day no doubt about it you know one thing i don't like about opening bait opening day in baseball anymore it is it used to start in mid-april and, and your chances of really bad weather were, were you know a lot you know just those two or three weeks you know later in the year um, I think they start too early in some of these northern cities. I mean, you can get snow on baseball. Oh. I mean, and, you know, it, it's just not 
to me, it's just not the same as it used to be. All right, Rick. Well, we have run right up against the clock, so I think we, we you garbled up on us a couple times, but by and large, I think we pulled it off. So uh, thanks to everyone for listening. We will be back next week as long as you all will have us. So thanks so much for joining us. Do I have the music? There it is. All right. So we'll work through these technical difficulties. It'll get better and better. Hey, everybody stay safe out there. Check out at 12 Ounce Sports, 12OunceSportsNetwork.com. Follow us at Asylum Football. It's just sports123 at gmail.com. If there's anything you want to hear on the show, take care, be safe. Until next time, we'll see you. Take care. <laughs>